You're listening to 3CR's Renegade Economist with your host, Carl Fitzgerald, as we investigate the role of landlords, bankers and natural monopoly through the eyes of the commons. Our birthrights, our birthrights. Listeners, it's time for another farm instalment. What is happening at Drummond? With this community land trust, well, at the recent New Economics Network of Australia conference, Rainer and I had a great time uh, at this workshop, had uh, quite the laughs going with the audience. So hopefully you can uh, sit back and enjoy this and hopefully some of these pieces of the jigsaw come into play for you and your opportunities for meaningful communities very political. It's a real challenge for our tiny NGO with two, two part-time, basically three part-timers um, taking on all of the robber barons in Australia. So <laughs> I call you got to win. It's <laughs> got to win. Yeah, I know. Well, with the Nina Cruz help, maybe, but uh, I call it a workplace hazard opening up the AFR and seeing the latest <laughs> drama that's going on. <laughs> So using the old anarchist slogan, don't use the government unless you really have to and not even then. (laughs) (laughs) Assuming that we can't reform the tax system because we don't have control over the tax system, we know that. We 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 don't live in a democracy, we live in a lobbyocracy. So what is the model to do this at a community based level? Uh, And when I first heard about community land trust, I went, yes, this is the thing, this is the thing. This is the thing that writes a grassroots democratic community ownership model that deals with all of the other stuff in one simple policy. And I've been helping um, Carl over the last 15 years almost try and communicate this story and um, try and build up some uh, an opportunity to, to prove this model in this country. Um, so just to summarise all of that stuff, value capture is a term, is everyone familiar with that term? Yeah. Um, so the idea that the community creates the value, the community captures the value and it gets recycled back into the community. Um, because we all know what it's like when communities get great. They get, they get more expensive and the, the speculators are just like, yeah, thanks for that. Um, and then gentrification occurs. And we blame the small business owners. This is the thing that really upsets me, is when gentrification happens, everyone goes, it's because of that hipster bar. No, it's freaking not. It's because of the speculators who are going, sweet, everyone wants to live here, up goes the rent 50 bucks, up goes the small business rent, up goes the, pe- the people's houses rent, everything goes up. And all of that value that's created by that community goes into the pockets of the landlords. So how do we, how do we shift that? So uh, just a few weeks ago, we released uh, this report called The Unspoken Alternatives to Expensive Housing, written by Dr. Cameron Murray. If anyone hasn't heard of him, please write down his name. He wrote a book called The Game of Mates, probably the number one bestseller in my world last year. Incredible book. Uh, And in it, we analyzed right beneath the feet of our federal politicians, the best example running in the nation. And that is the Canberra Land Rent Initiative. Set up a decade ago, 
uh, bit about the history of Canberra back in Federac, back in the 1890s, Henry George toured Australia, like 10,000 people saw him speak at the exhibition buildings, he spoke 55 times in 60 days as he toured the country, it was incredible, thousands of people were recognising how to put 2 plus 2 equals corruption. That's what was happening. People recognised all these land barons, these aristocratic families that come to Australia and bought up half of Collins Street, bought up the North Shore and were just sitting on it with their uh, agents over here, just keeping an eye on it from uh, their favourite Devonshire tea lookout point. But um, Canberra uh, was, there was this big battle between Melbourne and Sydney, where to establish it, and all these aristocrats were coming in, buying up big swathes of land, and they'd known because of uh, this um, classical economics perspective that if we put a land tax in place, that will scare away these profit seekers. So. That's pretty much how Canberra was established on this leap form of leasehold. And there we go, a hundred years later, that leasehold system had been bastardized and basically fallen apart, had a bad setup to begin with. So they set up the Canberra Land Rent Initiative and uh, over 10 years, um, residents in that uh, initiative have saved about 37% in their housing costs. Um, so that's an incredible saving when we're living within this um, environment of build more houses. And build more houses is code for rezone my land. That's what the developers want. So they want that rezoning because when they get that golden pen tick, the value of that land goes up not just by a few hundred thousand dollars, but by $50 million. That's what Paul Little, the former president of the Essendon Football Club, secured in Fisherman's Bend. So it's a massive windfall, and uh, the Canberra Land Rent Initiative helped stop that. Within this study, um, we also analysed community land trusts, and the saving there between being a land trust resident and a renter was 50%. A massive, massive saving. Um, I think the next slide will show us why. No. No. That one. Yes. So a community land trust is uh, where a trust owns a piece of land or a bunch of pieces of land, depending on, on the situation, uh, and then the resident owns the home. Uh, and then instead of paying a mortgage on the whole land and home to the bank and all the interest that goes with that, uh, residents only pay a land rent, which is a percentage of the value of the land uh, on an annual basis. Um, so that means that the difference, uh, instead of all of that money that going to the bank in, for, in the form of uh, profits for their shareholders, that money is recycled back into the community. And then that money can be spent on infrastructure, it can be spent on more housing, it can be spent on keeping prices low for people who can't afford full uh, land rents. Um, yeah, so the idea is that the community creates the value, the community collects the value. Yeah, so instead of leasing their land from the banks and paying the interest on that land, which is about 60% of every mortgage, you lease that from your own community. And slowly over time, that increases in value, hopefully in accordance with uh, our wage rates. And from that, we keep that money in the community so we can do good things with it. Here he is. I have a question. Um, so is this kind of, Thing that you want to get going 
better to happen after this crash that's coming crashes, or is it before? Because people it, it, it is buying land at the wrong time is a real is a key problem. So yeah, you guys have about eighteen months. So get your act together. <laughs> we'll give you the formula, but um, yeah, this we're feeling like this correction coming up will be reasonable, but the bigger one will be in 2026. That will be a big one. Up the back here. Um, okay, so the land trust, so I know a little bit about some of this area myself, but so the land trust buys the land, yes? Uh, and uh, do you have, do you, the person who builds a house, so you haven't mentioned, that's, their, that's your own cost, you're wanting to go over here, so you own, that, you own the house. Now, the money that goes, that you pay, oh sorry, you, uh, sorry, you only ever pay the rent, it goes back to the land trust, you don't... And the mortgage on the, on the building. On the building, right, yeah, but that's a separate transaction to the, mm. to the bank, because yeah. the land trust is not lending you the money. No. no. Okay. Now, um, the land trust then will have, I assume, it's like it will have to be a, set up like a trust, or yes. currently set up like a trust, and they will have a fiduciary role, to, and so you'd want to have, uh, I'm just saying, you can be mindful of this, they, they will have to have um, you know, a code of practice, and have to be uh, open to It has, has to have a constitution, we yeah, prefer yeah. a company limited by guarantee, yeah, yeah, yeah. we're coming to those bits soon. Sure, sure. That's very quick. Um, the increase in the value of the land, does that only get realised if you sell the land? Or when, how do you no, so we would, ideally we would have the land valued each year. Yeah. And the problem was in Canberra that they only valued the, year every 20, valued the land every 20 years. Mm -hmm. So every 20 years everyone got up in arms. Whereas what a land uh, rent does, a land lease, land rent, land value tax, all does the same thing. It acts as a counterweight to a land price. So that really means there's a counterweight to mortgage debt. If you know you've got a, a yearly, a recurring expense coming up, then you'll take that off what you're willing to pay to buy into that community. So that's sort of the core aspect of a land tax and why economists are so passionate about it is A, you can't escape it, B, you can't pass on those costs, and C, it's a closed loop. And it's very simple. You've just basically got one check or one automated monthly payment that comes out that goes to the trust rather than the complex GST sort of paperwork and those other so sort of things. Increases, the value yeah, and the big problem we got at the moment, little economics lesson, is that the value, is, which is typically reflected by our wages, what we can justify um, living in that location, is superseded by the price, which is what's dictated to by the speculative imperative. So that's the pressure point we have. And when we have land taxes in place, all of those vacant properties, vacant office blocks, they come onto the market, adding that supply side pressure that we need so that prices come back down towards values. CR's Renegade Economist this week, uh, a live recording from the New Economics Network of Australia conference where my wife, Raina Fahey, and myself uh, presented on Windfall Commons. Yes, that's the name of our farm and our soon-to-be, hopefully, community land trust. Let's go back to the recording. Is 
from in the first place to buying the land? Like, so if you're just starting out, for example. Yep. That there's many, many answers to that question, depending on what resources you've got within your community. Um, Ethical some, super. Is, yeah. Is, they're dying for a good land trust model. Hmm. Some um, people start off with existing land holdings. Um, they buy land on the market and then convert that into a trust, uh, which is which is what we, we, we're planning to do. Um, some people um, are able to do that within sort of socially owned houses, like government housing can be converted into CLTs. There's many, many examples around the world of different ways that people have done it. Um, uh, another example is um, like churches, I mean the Catholic Church is the largest landlord on the planet, bring them up, <laughs> give us some houses, they've got a lot of vacant houses too, so you know starting, it depends on the community and the other thing to be said just as a fact, community land trusts don't have to be one piece of land, they can be disparate, they can be a mixture of residential and private, uh, and commercial land, the biggest land trust in the world which is in uh, Burlington, Vermont, has like got they got up to about three hundred and fifty two thousand two hundred properties. Yeah, and so you know, and they were the most resilient against the GFC correction out of any city in, in America. Yeah, or I mean, American CLTs had a ninety four percent lower foreclosure rate than the wider um, residential market. So incredible response there. Um, yep. I, I assume across Australia there isn't as many land trusts out there um, yet compared to Portis Holbrook. But at the same time, the, the body corporate owns the land, the, um, the unit owners own their, their home, and they pay levies um, that goes back to that strata community to you know, make improvements to a community garden or a swimming pool or whatever it is. What kinds of changes to the body corporate legislation would need to happen to turn them into land trusts to benefit from your model? Because well, if that were to occur, if there was a reform of the body corporate legislation, wouldn't you be able to access a critical mass of existing um, owners or communities, if you like? Uh, I'm not sure about that. That's a good question. I haven't thought of it from that angle. But I do know that with the long-term, uh, Victoria being the last of the East Coast to come on board with the long-term residential leases that are now possible as of the last few months, the last real impetitive Impediment. impediment, thank you, uh, um, has been removed in Victoria. So um, according to Derek Mortimer, who's Australia's leading community land trust lawyer, who is involved in the CLT manual, are you guys aware of Louise Crabtree's work, um, University of Western Sydney? Louise Crabtree's the, the guru on CLTs and um, yeah, for the last 10, 12 years or longer, we've both been working in this space. She's created this incredible manual that you can download for free and start reading to get your insights on how to establish um, a land trust. But uh, yeah, through um, my work, before community land trusts, there were land trusts. And uh, when Henry George wrote this book and all these people recognised it was so hard to, to change the tax system root and branch, they went off into... Uh, uh, Fairhope, Alabama was um, probably the most popular, um, George's Colony it was called, and uh, they bought the land and uh, very quickly paid off their debts and this became an artistic sort of uh, idyllic utopia um, in the South of America. Um, but yeah, I've learned a lot from those land trusts way back then. The community land trust sort of uh, phenomenon came into play in 1969, but the the whole concept's been around for a while. So this is an out-to-the-moment, really. 
Uh, we haven't done this before to anyone. So, um, yeah, we basically, I, I've been uh, wined and dined by NGOs and landholders um, throughout Melbourne for all this time. Everyone's talking about CLTs, but there's a lot of eco-villages, there's a lot of intentional communities that are up and running, but there's none that actually are community land trusts. So, um, Raina and I have decided to uh, move out to the countryside and we bought this beautiful property up in Drummond near Malmesbury, Kyneton sort of area and we've got 27 acres and this is what we're looking to do. So um, yeah, we're, we're only looking to have 8 to 10 dwellings, we don't really want to change the nature of this beautiful uh, idyllic valley we're in. But even with um, that few dwellings, within four or five years, we can very quickly pay off our overheads um, using the type of uh, formula we've developed. Now, I haven't got lots of uh, graphs or charts here to tell you about, but if you do read that Unspoken Alternatives to Expensive Housing report, you can find on the Prosper website, you'll see all sorts of resale formulas in there for CLTs. Now, that's a typical way they um, uh, operate in the Northern Hemisphere is that when you want to leave the CLT, you um, can only sell it at 70% of the median um, valued home in the area, uh, priced homes in the area. There's another, a, few, a whole vari variation of formulas. Another one is that um, uh, it's, it's limited to 30% of your income. As well. So there's a couple of different formulas, but looking at it and seeing this incredible history of land trust through uh, my, um, my colleagues and forebears, I saw that if you get a good community land trust up and running and it's really effectively working, no one's going to want to leave. So these land trusts are often starved of cash and they live off body corporate fees, which leads pretty quickly to putting the hand out for more funding from government. And looking through uh, my economist prism, uh, what it really means is that too much land price still left with those properties. So we've developed a unique formula that's part land lease payment, similar to the Canberra Land Rent uh, Initiative, and part resale formula. And when you do that, it keeps the land price low, according to the number crunching I've done, and gives the trust some liquidity. So you can pay off your debts and prove your business case pretty quickly. Our colleagues in the Northern Hemisphere have been able to benefit from another form of uh, resource rents, and that's the Norwegian oil rents fund, the Norwegian pension fund, and they funded a Scottish land trust uh, movement and they got a half price loan, a CPI index loan, because that pension fund could advertise to their people that they're doing the clean, green, social justice, affordable housing um, kudos. So they claim that advertising kudos for probably the two or three percent return they miss out on, and it makes up part of their low um, diversified risk strategy for investment. So it makes some sense to them and it's got this land trust up and running and seems to be doing uh, good work. So we feel like having this innovative model is going to help us attain funding and prove ourselves so that hopefully 
by 2026 or the time when the next big crash happens, we'll be able to move closer into town and expand a bit by then. <laughs> what about inheritance? So, so like you die and you want to give this to your kids, is there some problem with yeah, that? Yeah, they can, you can hand them on to your kids. Okay. So there's no problems there. No one's going to get kicked down. And our next slide will show... Um, can I talk to this one a little bit for a second? I just want to point out this one. This is quite specific to us. So I just want to spell it out a little bit. Where we live in central Victoria, uh, we're... We're in one of those little weird little pockets of thanks volcanoes soil. <laughs> Soil's a shortage in this country. I'm from New Zealand. Your soil is shit. <laughs> um, but living in the western suburbs and seeing the sprawl that's taking over agricultural land, it's, it's, it's heartbreaking, it's devastating for all of us who've got a, a passion about food. But go out 100 kilometres and see all the soil that's just got some horses walking around on it, like this. Like, it's ridiculous. <laughs> we, we need to be farming our soil. We need to be farming it really, really well. Part of our model is uh, not just about creating access to housing, but access to farming skills and access to housing for agricultural workers because agricultural workers don't get treated very well. And uh, particularly for the kids in the country, you know, you get to the end of high school and your options are, are quite limited. So we're trying to kind of sit in that point of trying to find ways to support country kids or even city kids getting staying on country and having responsibility for land and trying to encourage that intergenerational connection and, and uh, what we call in New Zealand a guardianship responsibility to land. Yeah, that's a really important point I think because uh, one of the key issues is young people uh, facing obstacles to go into agriculture and our farms getting older so yeah. you, you know you're sort of like facilitating access I love them I love my community that we live in but the number of old people just sitting on massive massive yeah. tracts of land yeah. just looking at it what's your have you scoped out what the agricultural business is exactly going to be when you say forest system farming what is it, what is uh, it? It's, if that's going to be quite like multi-faceted right. but tree-based incomes okay. so basically anything that involves making money out of growing a tree. so you look like the Food forestry, Gawler, for example. Yeah, all the food foresting stuff, um, coppice farming, yep. nut farming, yep. orcharding, animals. anything that's got a tree. Carl and I don't like animals. Yeah. <laughs> 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 we just don't like looking after them. We like, we love the kangaroos. They mow the grass. Uh, but another thing, just to step back and answer that question seriously. Never said we'd be PC. <laughs> a huge part of what drives us is understanding the colonial legacy of the land that we're on and one of the biggest problems that this country faces is the legacy of sheep and we don't want to contribute to that. We are sitting on a landscape which is luckily for us being quite degraded. The people that owned it before us weren't land people they just looked at it. Um, so the biodiversity on, on our space is, is pretty amazing. And it's, it's biodiversity. Gorse. Biodiversity. Don't look at the gorse. <laughs> but if you go and look, look around our paddocks and you look down here, there's stuff that you don't see anywhere else around our, around our area because there hasn't been any, any hard-earthed animals on the property, um, well, parts of it. So that's really important for us is to protect that. Um, so we're really passionate also about um, traditional foods. We've got like native food growing on our property already. So we want to look at investing into those sorts of industries, seeing how Come we can Come on, create. alpine rice. Need yes, we've got, yeah. <laughs> we live in a, a prime space for alpine rice, which is once the government approves that to be food, because apparently it's not. It's not food. <laughs> so, yeah. 
people eating it for tens of thousands of years is not proof enough. Um, so it's currently growing as a pasture crop, but it's not proof of food use. So once that happens, we're, we're very interested in growing that. Um, but we've got yeah, wild patches of kangaroo grasses and all those sorts of things. So uh, trying to develop those sorts of industries, because that's really important as well, is we've got to do the right things on the right land. Well, and also it's a huge kind of like commercial opportunity, I guess, in terms of you know, increasing demand for exactly these kinds of and climate change the, and yeah, yeah, yeah. all that stuff. So all of that stuff drives. Yeah. yeah. But we can't really go too much into that side of our design process today because this is an economics conference. So we're. Just, <laughs> uh, but if you would like to know more about that stuff, um, yeah, follow us and like us and other mm. things um, at the end. <laughs> So, down that last um, point was to broaden the base of affordable housing, that last slide. And what I learned from my um, crew overseas, my forebears, is that they never had that drive. It was never the number one object of their constitution to expand the base for affordable housing. So once you paid off those overheads of building the roads and setting up the infrastructure, uh, a lot of land trusts basically drop away in terms of the land rent payments that are needed. And I was saying over lunch to someone that uh, we really need to make the most of any time the, the Commons gets claimed to, to put our best foot forward and make that as economic as possible within reason. So um, we want to, we're really keen on setting up this resilient income stream where we're not just relying on off-farm incomes, but we do have the, the land rents for the trust, we've already discussed, community-supported agriculture, we've kind of touched on. Raina's got this great idea um, that she picked up from uh, her time in, in New Zealand Parliament. Uh, so when I worked for the Greens, they had this really great little model, which once parliamentary services found out about it, they went, hey, you shouldn't, <laughs> it's probably not okay. So if you're a member of Parliament, you get superannuation, but you also get an accommodation allowance for the time that you're in the, in the nation's capital. So the New Zealand Greens set up a trust, bought some property, used with the, with the superannuation payments that the MPs were getting, and then they rented it out. So they were paying themselves like three or four times through their entitlements. And the National Party were like, why didn't we think of that? But the idea is solid. Like, even though they kind of like that, that had to be sort of separated a bit, the idea is really good that if you invest, if you're going to invest superannuation into your future, you should also be investing that into the future of your community. So having a superannuation fund that is investing in the community land trust means that you're paying your super partly into the well-being of your community. So that's called a self-managed super fund. Yeah. <laughs> so um, also, uh, as we travelled, we didn't say, but we travelled around Australia a couple of years ago and stopped off and stayed with a lot of intentional communities, people trying to set up community land trusts. And one of those was the Brunswick Eco Village up near Byron. And uh, yeah, very inspiring uh, hanging out with Kelvin uh, there. But uh, yeah, basically, the big, here I am at George's, owning land. We made half a million dollars out of our land in Braybrook, the industrial heartland of Melbourne, and thought, well, how can I live with, how can I live within my morals? So we've gone and invested it in this farm, and we're going to put that $500,000 to good profit. But then, when we get this land rezoned, how am I going to live with that? 
again, we could be up for a huge windfall, going from a $620,000 purchase up to probably $1.8 million. Carl, what are you talking about? <laughs> so um, <laughs> so uh, Kelvin at uh, Bev and Brunswick Kids, he, his um, take on that was, look, to give the land trust a leg up financially to attract investors into it and not saddle it with huge debts, which is something we all agree with here, we would sell the land to the trust for a third of the rezoning. So basically, we would pay off our mortgage, but still the trust would get the land at a third of the price with the rezoning potential. But from that one third that we'd get back, we want to establish a future fund. There you go, listeners. That was uh, some edited highlights from our Nina workshop just the other week talking about windfall commons. How can we utilise these incredible profits, these unearned incomes from real estate and put them to good use? That's what we're trying to do up in Drummond. All right, check out the show notes at earthsharing.org.au. Thank you.